I am always aware of the Lord's presence. He is near and nothing can shake me. And I am so thankful and glad and I feel completely secure. day and the Lord's table is before us. Isn't that a blessing? It's just grateful to come together to share that blessing. Um, so there isn't much to announce except Thursday we have prayer and potluck. We would love to have any of you come that you would like to come. Uh, there's always plenty of food. Don't worry about that. And the prayer is wonderful. So you are welcome to join us for prayer and potluck. Thursday, it's at six o'clock. And um, we are starting to gear up for women's Bible study. We're only a few weeks away. <laughs> I did order books this week. So, so as my house fills with books and I start bringing them here, we'll start really feeling like we're getting close. Um, I'm very excited about that. Well, let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for this building that you bring your church into to worship you, to bow down, 
and to proclaim your greatness, your glory, your love, your salvation. You are our all in all, and we love to proclaim that, Lord, here in this building. We pray, Father, that you would knit our hearts together as one um, in you today, and that your presence would be here, and that you would fill our Pastor Ray with your Holy Spirit as he brings your message to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. Let's show of hands of how many people were up watching the women's soccer game at two o'clock in the morning. I see a hand over there. You know, one of the things that strikes me is, as it kind of ties in a little bit with our devotional, is wars and how we don't get along with other countries, but yet soccer is a format that can bring in not only the players, but the fans to participate in a competitive game of football. And then also, yesterday was the 17th, 16th of my dad's passing. And that brought me to mind of my heavenly father, tied in with my earthly father. Peace on earth. He himself is our peace. For as long as I can remember, there have been innovative ideas for bringing peace to the earth. Organizations have been created, much money and much time have been spent. Treaties have been signed, books have been written, all in an effort to find the formula that would bring peace on earth and goodwill to men. World War I called the war to end all wars, but it wasn't. Whether men shoot and fight against one another or not, there is warfare in the home. Warfare between husband and wife, between parents and children, between brothers and sisters, between neighbors, between boss and employees. What can be done? It almost sounds simplistic to say that the only way we need to turn this around is to turn this to God. And that is the only lasting solution we have. Only God can remove the poison of greed and hatred and jealousy in our hearts and replace them with contentment, compassion, and forgiveness. Only he can subdue the violence and anger that rage within us and replace them with his peace and his love. Whatever wars rage within your life, lay them at the foot of the cross and ask Jesus to give you his peace. And the hope for today, no matter how hard we seek peace in our homes, communities, and in our world, the only lasting peace comes from Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Go ahead and stand to join us. Oh, I'm going to have to say yeah. this first. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See what kind of love the Father has given to us in that we should be called God's children, and that is what we are. Because the world didn't recognize him, it doesn't recognize us.
One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of mighty, of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness.
Our Old Testament scripture reading this morning is from the book of Daniel, the 13th chapter, verses 15 through 25. If you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that, there, that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were, near in, who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to him, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our gospel scripture this morning comes from the, from the gospel of Matthew, but this time it's chapter 14. We've been on 13 and keep going around it. They moved us on to 14. Verses 13 through 21. Hear the word of our Lord. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to their villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, 
That isn't necessary. You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said, and he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into the pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples, who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. During Shark Week, I, I've had, you know, you got to watch some sharks. Right? So as I was putting this, that together yet the other day, um, you know, in the program, I had these image of whales. Well, I've only got two, but they're blue whales. You know? <laughs> I don't think that would even feed that many people. <laughs> if you join me now in the responsive reading, hope beyond all human hope. You promised as, as numerous as a star to old Abraham and barren Sarah. You promised light and salvation. In the midst of darkness and despair, promise redemption to a world that will not listen. Gather us to yourselves in tenderness. Open our ears to listen to your word and teach us to live faithfully. People confident of fulfillment of your promises. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, creator of all, all belongs to you. But for some reason, you're gracious enough to us to allow us to partake, to know of, your, of the beauty of your, of your grace, to be willing to take and share with us that which belongs to you. But Lord, you do call on us to give back. You call on us to share with others, share our spirit, share your word, share those things we have, our talents and our, um, and, and our assets too. So Lord, we ask that the gifts that we bring, the gifts that we give, that we share, that they all be pleasing to you and that you guide us in their usage. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I want to give you a heads up this morning. <clears throat> You're going to wish you had taken notes. There are pencils on the back table. Raise your hand if you need a pen, and I'm sure Brother Chuck will be happy to hand you one. Uh, if you don't have a notepad and you do have a program, Use the back of your prayer page. You have Sandy to thank for uh, the sermon this morning. She came up to me last week and said, uh, Pastor, I believe that uh, Jesus ascended into heaven 
in a human body, a glorified human body. But I can't say I truly understand it. And I thought, I wonder how many of us don't truly understand that. We're going to dive deep into that this morning, and that's why I say you might want to take notes. Show us slide one, please. <clears throat> the title of my sermon this morning is Children of God. And our text is 1 John 3, verses 1 through 2. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him. For we will see him as he really is. That will be glorious. Scripture says we will know as we are known. That will be glorious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we so look forward to that day to know you as well as you know us, that cripples our minds. We, we cannot comprehend that. But we claim it. We cling to it. We look forward with great hope to it. Now, Father, we ask that you speak to our hearts, that you open our spiritual ears, our spiritual understanding. Speak to us through the wonder of your most Holy Spirit. And we ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. The theme of my sermon this morning is the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ and the privilege that is ours to serve him. God's word says that in Christ Jesus we are heirs to the glory and majesty of the King of Heaven. And when we finally see him face to face, we will be like him. Amazing. Now, if your perception of this verse is that we'll all be Casper the Friendly Ghost floating around in ethereal form, floating through the cosmos as disembodied spirits, you've got it all wrong. Scripture interprets Scripture. There is no better commentary on Scripture than Scripture itself. Slide two, please. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead. Underline that. First to rise from the dead. And the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his Father. 
All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. First to rise from the dead. And did Jesus rise from the dead as a disembodied spirit? Absolutely not. Scripture tells us he rose from the dead in a glorified body. And what is a glorified body? Well, we know this must. Jesus' wounds were healed. We know that he could teleport himself great distances. We know he could walk through walls. And he could eat food. And we know the majesty and charisma of his glory was on magnificent display. Slide three, please. And to my way of thinking, there's no better scripture to explain the majesty of the Lord Jesus than John 1.14 from the message. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Beauty is as beauty does. Majesty is as majesty does. What greater majesty could the Most High God reveal to us than the glory of His presence taking on flesh and living among us? John 1.14b, And we beheld His glory, the glory, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then scripture tells us that he set that glory aside. But for what purpose? To model for us how to live in perfect submission to Father God, lockstep in sync with his Holy Spirit. There is a maturing, a maturation of biblical knowledge and spirituality that is expected of us. Slide four. St. Paul speaks about this in Ephesians 1, verses 17 through 19, again from the message. I ask God, the God of our Master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing Him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. To grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for we Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy and boundless strength. Could we use some of that this morning? I certainly can. And one of the keys to this endless energy and boundless spiritual strength is for us to fully understand the doctrine of kenosis. That is a Greek word. It means to empty out. Kenao in the Greek. Kenosis is the Greek word used in Philippians 2 verse 7 which means that Jesus emptied out himself. Emptied himself of what? Slide five. 
Philippians 2, 5 through 8, again from the message. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside, cannot owe, the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. Underline that. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. The term he stayed human will reverberate through eternity. It means Jesus Christ will remain human for eternity. The glorified body Jesus took on at his resurrection is the glorified body he now has and will have for all eternity. And why? His glorified body is and forever will be a testament to the great love he has for the human race, which he not only created but redeemed with his own blood. Although Cumberland Presbyterians have not adopted the Westminster Catechism, and specifically for those passages which speak to hyper-Calvinism, there is still some rock-solid doctrine in it. But the founders of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church felt there was so much Calvinist doctrine woven into the Westminster Confession that they would have needed to totally rewrite it, and therefore they chose not to accept it. Even so, there are portions of the catechism that stand on their own. For instance, question 25. There are 300 questions in the Westminster Catechism. Question 25, who is the redeemer of God's elect? This is rock solid doctrine. The answer, the only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal son of God became man and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. If you're a Cumberland, you believe this. Slide six. And here is the scriptural basis for why we believe it. First Timothy 2.5 from the ESV. For there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. If you de deny the humanity of Christ, you in effect deny your salvation. 1 Timothy 3.16 from the message. This Christian life is a great mystery, far exceeding our understanding, but some things are clear enough. Jesus appeared in a human body was proved right by the invisible spirit, was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among all kinds of peoples. 
believed in all over the world, taken up into heavenly glory. And nowhere in Scripture does it say he ever took off his humanity. Romans 9.5 from the NIV. The Jews have the patriarchs, and from these patriarchs is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praise. Amen. Are you starting to see an underlying tone in Scripture of the humanity of the Lord Jesus? Colossians 2.9. Very important. For in Christ dwells all the fullness of God in a human body. The Greek word for dwells is katoikeo. It means to house or reside permanently. Slide 7. C.S. Lewis to me is the greatest apologist who ever lived. He said this, I seldom meet any strong sense of the continued, never-to-be-abandoned humanity of Christ in eternity. What Lewis is saying is, I seldom meet Christians who understand that the Lord Jesus, who is presently seated at the right hand of the Father, is seated there in glorified flesh, a glorified, eternal human body. Lewis goes on to say, we stress Christ's humanity too exclusively at Christmas and his deity too exclusively after the resurrection. Almost as if Christ once became man then reverted back to being simply God. We think of the resurrection and ascension as great acts of God. And rightly so. But less often as the triumph of man. What is the triumph of man? The triumph of man is that he who is seated at the right hand of God is both God and man. And he will forever be God and man. He who is our eternal high priest is a man. And thereby perfectly qualified to be our high priest because he lived his entire earthly life as a man and therefore is perfectly acquainted with our weaknesses and he will ever intercede for us until we see him in glory. Slide 8 please. John 2020. The date stamp on this verse is Resurrection Sunday. As Jesus spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. The reality of Jesus' resurrection was quite clear. Showing the disciples his scars, he proved that he did not feign death, but conquered it. He was no phantom, but a real man with a real body. He had been dead, but was now alive, fully human both in life and resurrection. That's from the New Living Testament Study Bible. So as C.S. Lewis points out, Jesus' incarnation was not temporary. It was eternal. 
It was and is and forever will be. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what great love could the Lord Jesus reveal to us? What greater love could he reveal to us than dying for us on a cruel Roman cross? The answer? Retaining his humanity for all eternity. Bearing the scars of our forgiveness and salvation forever. This is called identification. It's called compassion. It's called empathy. It's called the character of God. E.H. Peterson. God in the person of Jesus Christ gets down on his knees among us. Gets on our level and shares himself with us. He does not reside afar off and send diplomatic messages. He kneels among us. That posture is characteristic of God. This posture is that of the perfect high priest and the perfect Savior. What more could Christ say or do to confirm his love and acceptance of us than to take on our flesh? Redeem it and then remain in it forever. We will be like him. Jesus will not float around heaven as an ethereal spirit, and neither will we. We will rule and reign with him for a thousand years in his millennial kingdom, overseeing those who survive the tribulation. And we won't do it as Casper the Friendly Ghost. We will have glorified bodies. Slide 9. John 6, 48 through 51 from the message. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna bread in the desert and died. But now here is bread that truly comes down from heaven. Anyone eating this bread will not die ever. I am the bread, the living bread, who came down out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. The bread that I present to the world so that it can eat and live is myself, this flesh and blood self. Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection in a glorified human body as a man. He ascended into heaven as a man and is eternally seated at the Father's right hand as a man. Colossians 2.9 again. For in Christ dwells all the fullness of God in a human body. Why would the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit put on flesh? And after the resurrection, toss that flesh aside like it was worn out clothes. Why? They will not. Scripture tells us that the altar and all the elements used in Solomon's temple were fashioned after those in heaven. What would that altar and those elements be worth without the sacrifice they were prepared for? 
What's a sacrificial altar without a sacrifice? The body of Christ has to be present in heaven's temple or the altar and all the elements are useless. The temple itself is useless. The essence of the temple is not just the Godhead seated in majesty, but the sacrifice of the Son of God. The glorified body of Jesus is living testament of God's redemption of mankind. The Magna Carta was recorded on parchment. The redemption of the human race was and forever will be recorded in the scars of the glorified body of Jesus Christ. Dr. Wyatt Graham is one of the, uh, in my mind, better theologians to come out of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And much of the following are quotations from his thesis, Christ's Ascension into Heaven. And I quote, When Jesus rose from the dead, scars stretched across his palms. Even now, the marks of the cross remain on his body. He still has them. When the Word became human, he united to our nature for good. He was and is and forever will be Jesus of Nazareth. Think on that. Jesus of Nazareth. The doctrine and profession of faith, excuse me, the doctrine and profession of faith that we claim dates back to the earliest days of the church. In specific, we're talking about the human ascension of Christ into glory. Ignatius was a contemporary of St. Paul and St. John. He pastored church in Antioch. We recognize him as one of the fathers of the early church. Slide 10. Ignatius said this, there is one physician who is possessed both of flesh and spirit, both made and not made, God existing in flesh, true life and death, both of Mary and of God, even Jesus Christ our Lord. This is first century writing. Ignatius penned one of the most beautiful sentences ever written while being escorted to his death in Rome. In a letter sent before his arrival, he tells Roman Christians, let me die. He explains, let me receive the pure light, for when I arrive in heaven, there I will be a human being. Think on that. What did Ignatius mean? Was he not already human? In fact, none of us really are. We were created as human beings, but we lost the fullness of our nature through the sin of Adam. Death now corrupts our bodies, and sin spoils our souls. It took a second Adam, Jesus Christ, to become fully human and show us what it means to be truly human. In his body of flesh, Jesus started a new creation. Slide 11.
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 18 from the New King James. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. It matters then that Christ remains human after his ascent into heaven. It is imperative because Jesus was the first true human being. In short, at the resurrection, we will all become human beings. We will become complete and whole and everything God intended for Adam. Since the very beginnings of the church, the apostles' preaching recorded in the New Testament affirmed the bodily ascent of Christ into heaven. This doctrine has remained static and central for 2,000 years. Now I want you to take a deep breath and fasten your seatbelts. If you ever wanted to take a, uh, a theological course in a top-ranked theological seminary, you would have heard this. There is a Greek word every Christian should know, and no, it's not logos or maranatha. The word is hypostasis. And yes, it sounds like a serious medical condition. Because in fact, in the world of medicine, it is a serious condition. But its use in theology is mind-blowing. The word was first used in the Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD. It was used to codify an understanding of the union of humanity and divinity in the person of Jesus Christ. Hypostasis. The Greek word hypostasis can be translated as person. So simply put, God and man united in a person. One person, Jesus Christ. Our salvation relies on Jesus redeeming our whole selves, our sinful wills, our soul, our broken bodies, and our morality, our spirit. Christ is a true human and became so in order to recreate humanity in the image of God. Slide 12. Colossians 3.10 Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like Ephesians 4, 23 through 24. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Christ the spotless Lamb died as a human being to satisfy God's divine justice. If Jesus did not ascend to and take his place in heaven as a human being, 
His sacrifice on the cross has no effect. Why? Jesus rose from the grave to conquer death and glorify our human bodies, thereby making them immortal and incorruptible like his. We will be like him. Slide 13. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50-53. What am I saying, dear brothers and sisters? is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our, our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Slide 14. One of the great reformers of the Protestant Reformation was Girolamo Zanke. And he wrote this. By the Spirit of Christ, although we remain on this earth, we are truly and really coupled with the body and the blood of Christ reigning in heaven. Ephesians 2.6 for he, Father God, raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus, body, soul, and spirit. So hypostatic union, what's it mean in simplest terms? United. The Orthodox Christian doctrine of salvation depends on the belief that Christ had to become fully human in order for us to be able to share his divinity. Think on that. We share the divinity of Jesus Christ. How else could we be sons and daughters and joint heirs with Jesus Christ? Okay, pay close attention. If you don't remember anything else this morning, remember this. Zanke explained hypostasis this way. He said this, In the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Son of God was made flesh of our flesh and bone of our bones. Likewise, by working his salvation in our hearts, Jesus has made us bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. Without this, we have no salvation. Slide 15. This statement makes Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24 just explode with profound purpose and meaning. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of man's ribs and closed up the opening. 
Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. And the man said at last, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman, because she was taken from man. At Jesus' conception, the conception of his flesh, Father God takes Mary's DNA, he takes her flesh and bone and makes the flesh and bone of Jesus. By taking her flesh and bone, he takes our flesh and bone and makes the human Jesus. Now fast forward to Jesus' resurrection and what happened. In the Gospel of John, he makes it perfectly clear that Jesus was resurrected in a glorified body, replete with the scars of his crucifixion. The entire narrative of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is carved into the flesh of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. The scars in Christ's body are his medal of honor. The very reason Father God has given him the name which is above all names. The moment God created Adam, he knew he would have to redeem not only Adam, but the entire human race. All-knowing God knew that the moment he created man, the Godhead, the Godhead would have to become a man in order to redeem us and provide the perfect sacrifice. The character of God is the law of God. You cannot separate one from the other. The Father knew that Jesus would have to remain human forever in order to satisfy the divine requirements for Jesus to become our high priest and savior. The character of God is the law of God. Christ united himself to humanity through the same bond that unites, unites him to his Father, the Spirit, which we call holy. So how important is this doctrine of hypostatic union? It's all important. It means everything. The more you understand it, the more you will understand the magnitude of your salvation. How perfectly complete, how perfectly indestructible, and how eternally secure is your salvation. Hypostasis in a nutshell means that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have become a new creation. Christ on the cross recreated us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Our lives have been formed out of the flesh and bone of the God-man, just as Father God made Eve out of Adam's rib. Christ's death on the cross has joined us to his very being, Think about it. This is what the sacrament of the altar is all about. 
So as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion this morning, let's challenge ourselves to see our salvation in a new light. Let's challenge ourselves to let the Holy Spirit speak this high truth to our hearts. Ephesians 5.30 from the New King James. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Ephesians 5.30 Let us honor the Lord Jesus' sacrifice by reminding ourselves that the wine and the bread that we partake of this morning represent the eternal blood and the eternal body of our Savior. And because that blood and body is eternal, so is our salvation. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that the depths of our salvation, the, the, the wisdom that we would need to fully understand our salvation, we will not accomplish this until we see you face to face. As the scripture says, who can plumb the depths of our great salvation? But Lord, help us comprehend that above all, your grace is far greater. Your salvation is far greater than we can possibly understand. And therefore, we give you thanks and we give you praise. Father, purify our hearts and minds this morning as we partake of the sacrament of the altar. Remind us how great was your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible tells us that we need to take a good long look at what's going on in our hearts when we gather to partake in the Lord's Supper. As Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.28, let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In Corinth, this intended act of communion with the Lord had become a thoughtless and even selfish church ritual. Their minds had clearly shifted from Christ's substantiatory sacrifice and had wandered elsewhere. We must not ever let that happen to us. We must stay mentally engaged when we partake of these elements. They have been ordained to soberly remind us of the high cost of God's forgiveness. Eating and drinking of them vividly depicts our union and solidarity with Christ as our Savior, Lord, and source of spiritual life. We should also take time to examine ourselves to ensure that our relationship with Christ is authentic and genuine, not only recalling the 
inauguration of our relationship with Christ, but also seeking to discover if there is any unconfessed sin impeding our current fellowship with God. From 1 John 1, 6 through 9. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not within us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Lastly, we would be remiss to ingest these symbols of, God, of Christ without a heart that is purposefully thankful. Paradoxically, the Lord's Supper is not only a reminder of his brutal death, but it's also a celebration of the incredibly generous grace of God and the invaluable privilege of being forgiven. Let's partake with a graceful heart, grateful heart that can say along with generations of Christians, thanks be to God for the inexpressible gift. This is not a Presbyterian table. It's not a Cumberland table. This is the Lord's table. All who believe in the Lord are invited to partake. We, we welcome you to partake in the Lord's Supper with us. For I received from the Lord, which also was passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink of the cup, remember, do it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes again. Amen. Thank you. 
so much more than